Welcome! Welcome, lovely listeners, to another episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Turner, freezing to death in our Southern Illinois studios, and joining me here is a man worth his weight in allocation money. It's producer Mason. How are you doing today, Mason? So I don't even fetch a cool 250. <laughs> it's podcaster allocation money. It's got some heft to it. <laughs> we get paid in dollars brackets heavy. <laughs> yes. It is, in fact, a robust currency, yes. <laughs> yeah, since in lieu, of, in lieu of actual cash, you get spreadsheet. <laughs> Wait, and you'll can enjoy we it. trade me? Like, yeah, can we, we trade Mason for a little bit of gam? <laughs> we could. <laughs> we could. But could they afford it? Uh, entering our tank era by trading me. <laughs> yes. <we're, laughs> so this is silly. <laughs> that explains what you've been listening to for <laughs> while we're tanking. <laughs> if Mason's a trade target, he's, he's, he's a TAM target, if anything. He's that important to the team. <laughs> <laughs> this is silly signs me as a DP. <laughs> <laughs> and tell him you can't be bought down. Uh, and also joining us from his studio cave somewhere in the wilds of West St. Louis County is a man who on the eighth time of trying still hasn't gotten a single vote for the Ballon d'Or. It's Sean Campbell. How are you doing this week, Sean? Well, I'm still hoping and praying that one of these days I'll I'll get that Ballon d'Or. But you know, Benzema deserved it this year. Good on you, Kareem. <laughs> we need to start a four-year consideration campaign for you. <laughs> <laughs> and also joining us, well, he's a punk on the outside, but deep inside, well, he's still a punk. It's Chris Zimmerman. How are you doing this week, Chris? I, I appreciate you for calling me a punk on the outside because that is not how I look at all. I got Lego person here. So thank you for the compliment. <laughs> I always take creative license when I can take it. And uh, built like a mini fig. Yeah. We got another big, big show this week. But first, we want to talk about food. Yes, because <laughs> as is our want. As is our want. <laughs> we, hey, we live in St. Louis. So what do we do? We eat the food, <laughs> we watch the football, we play the sports. So what do we do? It's what we do. Hey. <laughs> and have a couple of beers in between. But St. Louis City SC announced uh, new food partners at Centene Stadium. Thanks to the work of executive chef and chief flavor officer, uh, Gerald Kraft, there's going to be three outside restaurants and two ventures run by chief flavor officer himself. And uh, they've been announced the first of at least 25 food partners for the stadium. It's a two-hour game. I can't eat at 25 partners. <laughs> uh, first of all, you get a chance to get some good Bosnian food. There'll be a Balkan treat box. Uh, they'll be supplying some rather taste, tasty-looking stuff. Uh, Beast, Beast Craft Barbecue. And Steve's Hot Dogs are the outside restaurants, where Brassiere and Pastiera are two of uh, Chef Kraft's operations as part of his niche food group. Uh, the club also revealed some information about how the concession areas will be laid out in the stadium. Apparently, there will be 52 separate concession areas spread throughout the stadium. And of note, purchases can be made through the app and then picked up from so-called walkout markets. Hopefully, this will cut down on wait times. Mm -hmm. Hopefully. We'll yeah. see. Um, they they also put out kind of like a documentary style YouTube series. Um, 
And in the first one, they showed some of the like finished stalls for the for the concession areas. And uh, they've got like a pickup and order kind of window and then just like a mobile pickup kind of window. So you can order concessions through the app for like also just for any concession area and then pick it up and go from there. Um, and then one thing with the 52 that also includes like suites and club boxes and stuff like that. Very good. Yeah. I think the uh, the mobile ordering is probably going to cut down on a lot of wait times because normally like the, the concession stuff process is pretty streamlined. It's just the people who haven't decided what they want yet by the time they get to the front and stand, they go, oh, would you give me a minute? Yeah. And then, you know, they have to speak up because it's loud and the person put it in. So if you eliminate all of that, I think you are going to see a pretty good cut down on wait times. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you know, through the whole process of, you know, we've been sitting here waiting for the steam since it was officially announced for what, two, three years now. Seems Maybe like longer. it. Yeah. <laughs> time. Time doesn't, you know, 2020 happened, so time isn't real anymore. But through the whole process, you know, I've been trying to remind myself, okay, not everything is for me. Different people go to soccer games for different reasons and have different priorities. However, when I saw that Brigier was a restaurant, I really did wonder who the hell goes to a soccer game and wants to pay $15 for a salad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like <laughs> That's the thing. We didn't get any information on price points for any of this rather high-end specially crafted food that'll be served at the stadium yeah and and i guarantee you there are still going to be stalls there where if you want to pay a reasonable price for a boiled hot dog you can do that but just who wants to pay twenty dollars for a burger at a soccer game yeah although i will say um i watched the um the video they did for beast and i will say that pork steak sandwich looks really good but i don't (laughs) think i'm gonna pay like the the $30 like stadium markup for it. <laughs> I do have to say though, speaking of hot dogs, I'm just happy to see that Steve's hot dogs is coming back and you can pay $8 for a hot dog, but it's going to have mac and cheese and bacon bits and grilled uh, and, and fried onions on top. And it'll be the best hot dog you've ever eaten in your entire life. I love Steve's hot dogs. I still have one of their, you know, buy nine tenth ones free. I still have that in my wallet and I'm hoping they'll honor it, but We'll see about that one. <laughs> also, I do have a question going back just a tiny bit. Is his title actually the chief flavor officer? That is his specific title with the team. You bet your sweet bippy it is. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that is amazing. I love it. And it I, I, I think we need more of more creative naming like that. I love it. The, you mean like chief experience officer might yeah, say back? The, the club has a lot of these like really twee titles for everybody. <laughs> Can can we all collectively come together and and get the podcasting group that we have come to know and love and just be considered chief podcasting officers and <laughs> you know get a paycheck? I think yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> Where the the C suite is here. <laughs> yeah, the CPOs chief get bullshit of us. artists. Well, then, that's what we are. <laughs> chief <laughs> bullshit officers. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. What were you saying? It's not funny anymore now that you've come here. <laughs> I was say, the, the chief pod, the uh, the chief podcast officers, the CPOs. You get three of us together, and uh, then we start getting into copyright problems. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. And then somebody plays unauthorized music. You know how it goes. There is no word though upon giant tacos to be served at Centene Stadium. Oh God! Do you all see that? It was on Twitter. I guess they have sell these at. Uh, 
FC Dallas, and I'm not kidding, that thing had to be, what, a foot and a half long? It was as big as the person's head. Maybe two. Oh, yeah, it was, in fact, human head-sized taco. And you have to wonder, how much did he cost, and how much how much did it cost, and how much of that did he end up wearing? Well, there's that, and it looked like it would be extremely hard to eat. Plus, yeah, it to was keep a- it from <laughs> shattering and spreading the $3 of filling that he spent $25 for on the taco all over the stadium, it had to be a, at well, least a three-eighths of an inch thick on that shell, right? Yeah, it was a hard shell taco, too, which is demented. Well, the taco is $15, and for an extra five, they will break your jaw for you so you can open your mouth wide enough to get Uh, the taco in. I get the free snake surgery. Yeah, and uh, a smattering of cheese and a dollop of salsa will cost you an extra five as well. And and Mason, we'll have to be careful. We don't want want to have to write another letter to the PCA about this. (laughs) (laughs) Walking up to the concession stand like, hello, I would like a clutch of eggs. Quiet you. (laughs) But, uh... Actually, uh, St. Louis City SC uh, did manage to get on the Footy Scran uh, Twitter feed. If you're not familiar, it's one that goes and gives across England and Europe uh, a look at what the food is like across other soccer, uh, soccer venues around the world. And when you price what you can get at some of these places against what you pay in American sports stadiums, soccer or otherwise... It's rather shocking how affordable it can be to eat at a stadium for some rather good-looking stuff sometimes. Unless it's in England, in which case it all looks beige. <laughs> Did you see the Manchester United hot dog? Was that the one you were talking about earlier, Sean? <laughs> That's just like a... No, like... That, that was... <laughs> no, that was... um, That hot dog was from Barnet FC. Uh, yeah, the Manchester United one was on a burnt baguette. A baguette. <laughs> With a sad little dried up sausage in the middle of it. Oh yeah, you can't even see the hot dog inside there. It's no. just a burnt bread. It's a burnt baguette. So the bread is probably three to five times larger than the actual hot dog itself. It looked terrible. The devil's glizzy. God. The glazers oh, are originally from Rochester, New York. So you know they had to make the trip down to Coney Island for some uh, Nathan's hot dogs at some point, And that's what they serve up for the... For the good folks in Manchester, whether they're good or not, that's up for you to decide. In the words of a dear friend of mine, stick to what you know, England. (laughs) You are the beans on toast people. Accept it. Now, Uh, I don't want to go and see Chelsea and have to eat jellied eels. (laughs) (laughs) He might like them. Personally, myself, outside the tailgate, I'd like to have a a food truck with uh, serving me some uh, little street tacos on a plate with uh, maybe a. Wait, are are we are we arguing for Soul Taco food truck to make an appearance oh, in every single game? I was about That's to killer. say that was my thought through this whole process. Soul all Taco yesterday. is is elite, arguably the greatest taco joint in town. If they don't bring a food truck to the Luligans tailgate, I will be very sad. Would, I'm going to start pressuring them now. I would Let's absolutely all do it. Let's demolish. get together. Hashtag Soul Taco for City. I would my, demolish my a bulgogi taco and some kimchi, dude. 25 food partners, not all announced. I'm voting for Soul Taco. All the way. The most, the most perfect food on the planet is a tofu burrito from Soul Taco. So I've not so had their to- I have not had their tofu, so. It's, uh, nor- it's hard to do tofu right, and they do it right. Now, what I'd really like to have is in southern Arizona, you go to the burrito shop and you get uh, 
you know, a foot to nearly a foot and a half long burrito stuffed full of carne asada with a big slathering of guacamole and the homemade salsa you pour on top. And it costs like five, six bucks. That's stadium food right there. You can hold it one hand, the beer in the other, and cheer your heart to light <laughs> and eat on that thing for about 30 minutes. But I am so glad we're having this conversation after I ate. Dinner. Yeah, I, I have haven't eaten. eaten. <laughs> I'm getting very hungry. So let's oh, oh, <laughs> let's move on. In a related thing, uh, supporter section stadium tours have begun for season ticket holders. Uh, the photos are coming in. Looks pretty sharp. Looks pretty steep. Um, section does indeed look very steep. <laughs> yeah, a typical safe standing configuration. Loving the uh, cup holders. At Ralph Cordy, man, I was, and at uh, yeah. Ralph Herman, I was really wanting a cup holder uh, standing in the supporters section there. It's part of the reason why I slammed those beers so fast as I needed my hands. <laughs> and uh, apparently uh, there's a question about uh, the seats being held up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which uh, Chris, you answered, and it seems they will be, which is typical safe standing stuff is they have like a full seating capacity, but those seats are bolted shut during game day, but yeah. they can fold down for like concerts and stuff. Yeah, unless something has changed since the last time I read um, and I doubt it, then it sounds like they're going to be bolted shut. But um, we all are sounds like are going to find out on Saturday because mm-hmm. that's when we all are going to have our tours. Um including myself, who chose the last possible time slot. So I think I will be one of the last uh, season ticket holders to actually step foot in the stadium. Yeah. Mike and myself are going at 1, I believe. And then, Chris, you have yours at 4, right? 4.30, yeah. 4.30, okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm particularly interested in how steep those stairs are. I got a feeling everybody behind me will have to be patient as I climb, (laughs) being the old man. Uh, on that we'll and, have to uh, install a stair lift for you i wonder if i can sneak in a you know a ratchet set so i can bolt those seats in case the old man needs to sit down <laughs> <laughs> oh no 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 if you do that you're gonna throw an entire row of seats down because they're it's one long bar i guarantee it you're gonna throw an entire row of seats down and people are just gonna get hit in the back of the legs <laughs> mid-chant you'll just hear an ah on the broadcast just like <laughs> Like, but a, I can like a slinky, we all go f- tumbling down the section. <laughs> Except for me, I'll be resting my weary butt on that seat while I watch everybody go tumbling down. It sounds like a fun time, to be honest. <laughs> oh, no. This, the, do you want another Hillsboro? Act, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, cr- crowd crush? Because that's how you get another Hillsboro crowd crush. The safe standing we, we disaster. St. <laughs> Louis City SC at Centene Stadium. Yeah, we, we would all only go down one section but we would all flip over the bar perfectly <laughs> and land on our heads <laughs> all right uh, we've Mike really just destroyed in like some safe wo- standing <laughs> unsafe <laughs> standing there is nothing yeah, wonderful. like safe standing we'll see about that <laughs> there is nothing wonderful that we cannot destroy is there <laughs> speaking of beautiful things that we can destroy there's also another uh, Get-together for supporters put on by the St. Luligans. It's their annual Halloween party and full kit wanker party. It'll be held at Second Ship Brewery, 7 p.m. on Saturday, October 29th. Yep. And uh, they are, since it's a combined Halloween and uh, full kit, so they're doing prizes for both categories. So either wear your Halloween costume or wear a full kit and you might get some beer and stuff. That's right. 
And even if you don't wear a costume, you can still buy beer and stuff. You can buy beer and stuff, but you won't win any. <laughs> I don't know what other kind of stuff. Do Maybe you think the food we'll have truck some will more of that there. prickly pear brew. Ooh, man, that pickly pear stuff was so good. I haven't heard about. Well, that's that. when they premiered it last year. Was during the was during the full kit wanker party. Yeah. It was a pretty small batch thing, and I haven't heard anything about it. I think that was to, really good. Though. I think you maybe have to buy it at the brewery. Maybe, and I haven't. It might be in the cans. I haven't seen it a few times. I've been up there uh, to visit Second Shift. That was really tasty and dangerous. Yeah, dangerous. The regular Brewligans is really good too. Honestly, so uh, it's a good time. Uh, we went up last year. We hardly knew anyone. There hadn't even been a St. Louis City SC game or an Academy game yet. And we met a lot of people that are still, we consider, friends up there. So if you haven't been to any of these, this is a great get-together. It's a chance to, like we say, meet new friends, uh, greet the old friends. And it's a great way to start getting involved with the team, get to know the supporters that will be there all the time for all the games. So if you're a season ticket holder that hasn't been out to any of the City SC2 games yet, this is a great way to introduce yourself, get to know people. So if you do come to a tailgate, you go to the games, you already know people around and it'll be such a more friendly and enjoyable mm. experience to be at the games. Yep. For better or for worse, if these are the people that you will be seeing for as long as you keep your season tickets. So get to know everyone. Um, but also we're welcoming up group. If you don't show up until the tailgate for the first game, you'll probably still meet people, but you know, go ahead and start now. Why not? Mm -hmm. Why not? It's a good time. The sooner you make friends, the more fun you're going to have while you're in the seats. And if you're not familiar with second ship brewing, it's, uh, what? South of Manchester. Yeah. Or South of 100. I don't actually know what it's signed as down there, but no, yeah, that's so, true. But between 100 and 44 down by the hill, down by the hill, it's a good place. Parking can be limited, so be prepared, but uh, there's parking around the area. That's for sure. We enjoyed ourselves last year immensely. And for something that's not too enjoyable, but we need to get geared up for, it's time to talk some MLS rules. Had some questions on Twitter because the MLS expansion draft is coming up very quickly. Still a ways away, but coming up quickly on November 11th. Uh, the protected player list for the teams that can protect certain bouts of the roster away from St. Louis City SC from picking them up in the draft. Those will be made public on November 10th, the draft itself on November 11th. Uh, you can already get an idea of other players out there as teams are starting to already release. A couple of teams have already released certain players that are out of contract that uh, their options haven't been picked up. That will gear up over the next few weeks leading into this expansion draft and other mechanisms uh, that St. Louis City can use to, you know, fire up their rosters. Uh, it's largely going to follow the format used last year for Charlotte when they were the expansion team. Uh, St. Louis City SC cannot select any players from the five clubs that Charlotte selected from last year. Wise decision. You want to protect teams from losing too many in this way. Those teams were Austin FC, Atlanta United, DC United, LAFC, and New York City FC. Every other club can protect up to 12 players from their senior and supplemental rosters. 
non-graduated generation Adidas players and a club's homegrown players will automatically be protected without using one of the club's 12 slots. Uh, Players with a no-trade clause must be protected and will take up one of the 12 slots. And if a club has, well, this is as convoluted as MLS can be. If a club has two or more international players, they are required to protect one less than the number of international players that they have. A club with one international player is not required, though, to protect that player. Uh, DP players also are not automatically protected. So if a team does want to, uh, say, aren't that interested in a designated player, they can leave them unprotected and they're available in the draft. But of course, St. Louis SC would then pick up a DP slot, have to pay that and take the salary uh, cap hit for that player. If a player is selected from the supplemental or reserve rosters, they will have to be on the senior roster until this roster compliance date, which we don't know yet. Yeah. (laughs) Um, A selected player can have their salary negotiated without going through waivers or the last club having a right of refusal. Yeah. Love rules. Yeah. Aren't they great? But so, yeah, um, uh, that means that if we pick up a a player in the draft, we can renegotiate the salary with them either up or down without them having clear waivers or the team having a chance to retain them. Which normally would happen outside of the draft. Mm -hmm. Correct. Um. I do have one 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 thought though. Uh, so you said DPS are not automatically protected, right. and I just have to wonder a little bit: is this is Lutz playing a bit of three D chess here while everyone else is playing checkers by saying we're not looking for DPS anymore? We're done. We got those. Hoping and praying that no that you know certain DPS are left unprotected so that he can then you know poach them and and fill a DP slot real easy. Uh, is, is is he out here making? Big money roster moves, big brain mode. Well, there's because we kind of thought that, and then the MLSPA salary guy came out. <laughs> so and some interesting <laughs> things were on the the updated salary release by the uh, MLS Players Association. And before we get into um, the numbers, keep in mind that the way that MLS uh, PA uh, computes the salaries they include MLS does as well but they also include acquisition fees loan fees uh, agent fees you know S- signing fees, bonuses bonuses everything into it it's slightly different than what MLS does to compute the value and the salary cap hit of certain players but yeah. there is some notable things things on here yeah this is also including option years so um parts of the salaries could be dropped if an option's not picked up right but according to their listing uh the highest paid player for st louis city sc is roman berkey at 1.632 million dollars but berkey came on a free transfer so there was no transfer fee to be put into his average uh, ability as to make him a designated player. I believe it was Sam Stashkal tweeted about this, which is what kicked us off into looking into this, because that is a nutso price tag for Berkey. 
it's nearly double what Andre Blake, who I consider to be uh, the best goalkeeper, not just in MLS, but in CONCACAF, uh, is making. I do want to ask, is this their is this their base salary or is this their guaranteed compensation? It's their guaranteed compensation. Um, averaged out over the length okay, of their contract, so, including option years. Okay, so this so necess- this number that we're reading here for Berkey doesn't necessarily mean, you know, this is guaranteed he, he uh because I know there's a certain ceiling, uh a, a certain amount that once you go above that they have to be DP and they're no longer TAM targets. Um I just wanted to make that distinction before we kept going and, you know, and then got down to it and had to kind of cut back to it. Uh, but I know there's a ceiling, and I think this might be slightly above that by, like, a couple thousand well, dollars, if I'm not mistaken. We don't know yet because the rules for the maximum payout, the charges, and all that have not been released from MLS. But you have to think there's some indication within front offices that to become from the league as to what this would be. This is not far off, and this is not accurate according to what MLS does. This just comes from the Players Association. Uh, now, as to his annual compensation, you have to remember that Berkey came on a free transfer, so there's no transfer cost put into this uh, uh, average annual value of his contract, what he's being paid. But uh, not surprising. He's the biggest name that they sign. Now, as for the actual DPs, Jao Klaus uh, came in with a $1.365 million figure. There was a transfer fee involved with him, as was Edward Leuven, who came in at, uh, if I can read the handwriting here, $1.294 million, but he had the largest transfer fee, approaching $3 million, I believe, over the length of his contract. Uh, also on here, the figure for uh, Nielsen was $1.13 zero million dollars uh ostrak uh who a lot of people are looking at to perhaps be the most impactful player that uh, st louis city was able to uh recruit early but he's a young player that hasn't had a lot of first team experience his uh annual average value came in at uh four hundred fifty eight uh thousand dollars rounded up uh, Selmio Pedro, the first one signed, but not the highest, uh, you know, highest profile one. He comes in at $292,000. Isaac Jensen, only 18 years old, hadn't even played in the first team, uh, at least not very much. He's at $148,000. Here's where it gets very interesting. On this list, there was no mention of, uh, Josh Yarrow. Or Kyle Hebert, who we know have been signed to the club and has been announced. But there is a listing for Cecilio Pompeo and for Max Schneider at $65,500, which is the minimum. Yeah. Juan Cousin was also not on this list. Not listed at all. Mm. And we don't have any, as far as I can tell, we haven't heard anything absolutely definitive of the contract status of Juan Cousin. No, but Josh Yarrow and Kyle Hebert, we do know, are going to be on the senior roster, and they were not on the MLSPA salary guide. Yes. Now, a lot of these uh, salaries can be bought down with allocation money. 
And we'll get into that much closer to the season as we break down all of those rules. But we don't have the figures yet for 2023. But to give you an idea of what we're looking at, uh, in 2022, the season that is concluding, uh, the club-wide salary cap was $4.9 million. I added these up. They're above that. Now, there is uh, a certain allotment that is given to an expansion team to help build the roster in general allocation money. Uh, we don't have that figure. And that figure generally is not put out to press. Uh, MLS will say that it's to protect the value of the club for sale that they aren't put out. Yeah, I did a little bit of looking into this. It was hard to find. I was trying to find what Charlotte got, and that was not public information. But Charlotte did do a Q&A um, last year about it, and they said that the previous expansion clubs, so like Austin, Atlanta, Nashville, they got around $2 million in extra above the annual uh, allotment that are given to teams, which is just over a million dollars, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, also, some other interesting numbers, just to keep in mind, these aren't accurate. These are from 2022. They won't apply to 2023. And remember, the Apple TV deal was an expensive buy for Apple TV stretched over 10 years. But the maximum salary budget charge, read salary cap hit for players, in 2022 was um, $612,500. So they would have to use allocation money to buy on players of a higher salary to fit within the salary cap. Unless they're DPs, in which case that is their max cap hit. Yes, this is as clear as mud. Mm -hmm. uh, apparently came out a committee and one that didn't really know what they were doing at the beginning, and they haven't really fixed it in 25 years. Yeah, we, uh, we've talked about the House of Sand. That we've is beaten Emma. that dead horse to death. Yeah, We have Quiet beaten you. the dead horse to death of, of the too many pots, and it's too confusing. Oh and, oh, and we're going to get into it later, too. Don't you worry. Yeah, <laughs> we'll delve into this later, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll give time for everyone taking notes. Yeah. Uh, all these numbers, you could shake my head and it would rattle like it has three marbles in it. Now, the ceiling to buy down a salary with TAM to avoid being a designated player in 2022 was 1.613 rounding around. Actually, 1.612. 1, $1,612,500. Thank you. Berkey's above that, but we don't know what the threshold will be in 2023. And plus, these are not the MLS figures. These are always a little different than what MLS has. But that gives you an idea of what we're looking at uh, and how this is going to work. When we get other figures uh, coming in, we'll break down more about what the roster rules and how they will apply to St. Louis City SC one thing to keep in mind when you go into the expansion draft, one reason why we bring this up as well, is that the players that St. Louis City SC pick in the expansion draft may not necessarily be for on-field play. They can be turned around and then traded for general allocation money. TAM is not tradable. GAM is. Uh, they can be traded for general allocation money to help them build the roster. And teams in the past have spun quite a few of the players that they pick 
uh, to fit other teams and uh, turn it in and have more GAM than what the allotment is and other things that they have to work with. So that's important when you're building a roster. Think about when Cincy, or not Cincy, when uh, Charlotte did their expansion draft last year, we have the episode where we talked about the major moves where they picked a player and then flipped them for a lot of money. They were making big money moves. We did talk a lot about that, but it goes back to that kind of a thing. Yeah, and uh, one thing that isn't listed, and we didn't look it up, uh, under Austin is uh, Ben Stroud that was announced to have signed a future contract with St. Louis City. Jared Stroud. Jared, excuse me. Jared Stroud from uh, Austin FC has been signed for future considerations when his contract is finished with Austin FC. He's part of the team. Is he going to be one of those MLS players that they bring in for depth, or would he possibly be spun out for GAM? It's just part of the chess that goes on at this time of the year. Another thing to keep in mind uh, with MLS, the windows that you have to work are extremely short. In other words, uh, you know, the protected player list is made public uh, on November 10th, and then the expansion draft is on November 11th. Now, teams are already kind of letting know who's out there. You know, teams have to be talking. You can't do everything in 24 hours. Other leagues don't do it. So teams have to be allowed. There's talking going on, whether there is uh, there's allowed or not. Has to be. There is front office, back office negotiations, if you will. Um, the wheels are a churn. Yeah, but for public consumption, that list is available for like not even. I think like even less than twenty four hours. Yeah, and uh, even before the expansion draft is another important trade window. Uh, the general allocation money, which I assume the St. Louis City FC has some indication of how much they're going to have because the trade window opens before the expansion draft. It opens on November 7th at noon Eastern time and closes a full 48 hours later on November 9th at noon Eastern time. Expansion teams have used that to use their general allocation money to pick up in trade with other teams. Uh, and that has happened and that we've had some shockers and players that have made differences within that window as well. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on as well with that. And of course, when you start talking the expansion draft and we don't even know who's out there, but there's a general and who's coming up at the end of their salary. We haven't got a good fix on what the young players are that could push a veteran that might be better out that might be left uh, available in the expansion draft or salary cap considerations looking at you, Toronto SC, uh, who might be left open in the expansion draft. But hey, it's a perfect time to go ahead and uh, start speculating on who might be out there and who might be available. Anyone got any names that you're looking at and eyeballing? I mean, nothing comes to mind at the moment. I haven't had a chance to really sit down and look at the the rosters and think of players that by name come to mind. Um, but I think what what I the, the kind of players I think Lutz is looking at is he's probably looking at guys that, you know, aren't super integral to the to that team because he doesn't want to you're not going to rip apart a team just to build your own. That creates so much ire and problems with and unnecessary rivalries you don't want. But uh I think where the val real value is is getting guys that are in the wrong in the wrong system that you know aren't being used to their potential that would be willing to come here and stay here and be a keystone of this roster and you know we can 
talk up some salary and other things on top of that, but find guys that are, you know, really great players, but don't play often because they're not in the right system. They got signed to be for one talent and they're being used for something else that they don't have as much of. That is generally the way it should be looked at, but you have to remember Lutz has been very, very firm that he wants younger players that are hungry, that fit in his system. How many of them are out there in MLS that really fit into the system? I mean, that you'd have to do a deep dive onto full MLS rosters, but Again, that that fits perfectly in with what I was saying, though. You find guys that they got signed young and they got signed because they have great talent, but they don't quite fit into the system that they got signed into. And they're want, they're obviously going to be wanting playing time. And he, whether it's going to a, a lower level league in Europe or finding a high level team here in America, that's going to give them all the all of the playing time. You can attract them away with that. And be like, hey, look, you've got the skills that fit our system. We can guarantee you playing time. And that's going to incentivize them to con- to try harder and then continue to play because they're going to get the playing time as long as, you know, they get the system that fits that. Yeah. So it's kind of a back and forth is the way I'm looking at it. Also, there's ways around this as well. Um, how smart is it to to make moves depending fully upon the system rather than, say, game states that you might encounter during the re- regular season? There's a very real possibility that somebody like, say, Kai Kamara, who's been excellent for uh, CF Montreal, could be on the expansion, available in the expansion draft. Uh, do you pick him up? What's it going to cost? We've already seen there's a lot of cost, given the figures that came out this week already on this squad. Uh, also, these figures kind of take out some of the ideas of a couple of big names that are possibly available, either expansion or on the free agent market is uh, Callens at NYCFC and uh, Aaron Long, both uh, center backs that could really fit the system, proven commodities in in the league. Do you take it on? You've already got a lot of money tied up, it seems. It, just a lot of questions to go into this and a lot of chess pieces. It also depends upon who's out there. You could pick up somebody like that. You could pick up... Uh, Ismail Jujuri Shradi, if his option's still out there, you know, somebody like that, and then spin them around and sell them for GAM, and you've got a lot of flexibility. It's that that makes speculation hard. Yeah, I mean, it's it's gonna it's all six, you know, one or the other at this point. There's a lot up in the air. We don't know who's protected, who's not. But our, our you know, city does. They they know about who's going to be protected. And they can, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, they can negotiate negotiate around that. They have the they have the lists in their head, I'm sure. Um, but you can get a guy, flip him to someone else, maybe, and see if they can get better talking terms, get more money. Um, St. Louis City has certainly got a list, I'm sure, that they're looking at. They they have had the time. It's their jobs, by the way, um, and well paid. And uh, they've got the time. It's their jobs to look through, figure out who. They think might possibly be on these lists, available for trade, available for free agency as this window goes along, uh, available in the expansion draft, and who they might be able to pick up for the team, who they might be able to pick up to trade. I'm sure they have a lot of lists on there and just going to see when everything gets officially released and strike off names that they might have missed on and pencil in others that they might be shocked by. 
looking at how Lutz has done his scouting so far, I don't think he's going to go out and get a bunch of these quote-unquote utility guys that he can put in to make a ton of changes mid-game based off of game state. I think he's going to, from what I've seen in play, he's going to go more towards the system guys where he it's just a plug-and-play. Like, hey, we hit 60th minute, we need fresh legs at this position, plug this guy in and pull this guy out and sub him out so we can get some fresh legs in that spot. Maybe move a couple guys around on the pitch to, you know, properly fill a position but i i see more of a systems approach and less of a hey in this in this situation we might need this kind of a player if that makes any sort of sense yeah i mean if nothing else lutz has been very consistent what he said in every single interview he's given since he got in this position that we have a system we're gonna stick to it if you don't fit in the system you're not playing here yeah, yeah, he has. I don't necessarily think it's wise, but it does fit what his entire plan has been. Uh, you got Josh Dolling, who hasn't been signed. You've got Jao Klaus. Uh, you got Ostrak, who's shown the propensity to be able to find space and put a goal in, but that's at the MLS Next Pro level. Uh, they're going to need somebody to put the ball in the net. And it's going to be hard to find somebody that does that, uh, that fits in the system and is available. I mean, yeah, Daniel Gosdag would fit in the system. Uh, Michael Ure, he fits in the system. But is the union going to let them go or can the, the team afford them? No. Um, so there's also that. And, and also with the system in MLS... What teams are out there that play in this kind of style? Red Bulls, and that's about all I can think of. Uh, Philadelphia comes pretty quick, but how much breakup? Well, Philadelphia is usually on a budget. I doubt they're facing a lot of salary cap pressure. They may be, that I'm not aware of. They do have a lot of young youth talent coming up, so there might be players available uh, to pick up out of that system. Uh, Kansas City has a lot of pressing involved in their system. Bob Bradley always did that at LAFC. But now you're really starting to stretch his idea of what the system is into what a system is in MLS. So they're doing there other people out there listening might come up with some other teams that play the similar style or no players of that type, but those are the ones that stand out to me, and that's four teams. Just uh it, it's it's a crapshoot and uh, speculation is fun, but we just have to see how it shakes out, and there's so many moving pieces. It's going to be so much fun. It really is. I still, Mike, I think you have a warped-ass sense of fun. <laughs> I still kind of have my fingers crossed for Latif Blessing. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I think Latif Blessing would oh be god, a I'd great Oh my god, I'd love pickup. to see Latif Blessing. But isn't he still with LAFC? Because if he is, he's unpickable. Yeah, well, he wouldn't be picked up in the expansion draft. I'm hoping maybe we could pry him away. I think he's coming out of contract, or did he sign? I don't know if they picked up his option or not. It. I don't think they signed him, yeah. not last I checked. But uh, yeah, no, he, would be, loved, he wouldn't be I available. I love Latif in SKC. I loved him at LAFC. I would love to see him in City Red and Blue. Yeah, he's no. up, He would be the perfect slot. He's like the perfect player you need. Yeah, he does have a background of scoring, has a background of being a defensive destroyer and has an engine that runs and runs and runs he fits perfectly can they get him that's the question i guess you oh, can I, get I him if you I would really so. really really want him 
Like, uh, apparently Dallas really, really, really wanted Paul Areola for $3 million in allocation money. It worked for him. <laughs> Walker Zimmerman. Uh, Nashville, in their expansion year, went out and just threw unbelievable at the time amounts of money, uh, allocation money at LAFC, and took Zimmerman away, and it really hurt LAFC and really solidified Nashville. So it can be done if you can pick out that one player that's going to make a difference. And we've got two DPs on this team. It's yet to be seen if they are actually difference makers in MLS. You don't have the ability to get too many difference makers in MLS. You've already used up two DPs. That's usually where you find them. Uh, finding a player that fits the system exactly and going getting them is a good use of uh, allocation money. Um, I do have one last one last question before we move on from this whole transfer uh, draft and all of that uh, before we have our in-depth episodes as they happen. Um, I heard rumor that we're getting a fourth DP slot next year. That has... Is there, first of all, is there any credence to that? And second of all, does that change the way that Lutz is building this lineup? A lot of people are talking about it. We have not heard anything concrete in the public. Uh, Paul Tenorio and Sam Stasekull said that they have made at least one phone call to people around the league, and they have not got any confirmation on that. Plus, remember, a fourth DP will have a $600,000 plus salary cap hit as well. So every DP takes up a inordinate amount of the, the amount of money that you can spend on building your squad. Uh, right, but at the same time, without getting too far into the weeds, that could make a TAM target more of a DP to try to keep them in the, in the city and play for that team for long term. You could see some wiggle room back and forth of, you know, leaving it open versus using it, and that's a whole discussion for a different episode. I just wanted to know, are we getting that fourth slot or not? No one knows. And I didn't know if that was confirmed or we, not. Yeah, because the no uh, the report came from AS Sport, and nobody's been able to reconfirm that in, uh, you know, real media out there. So reporters have been hot on this, and they have not been able to report anything. And that tells you what you need to know. Yeah. Safer to assume we are not. Or the MLS doesn't know yet. <laughs> that, that's very possible. Ge yeah, genuinely. It also could be they do know. But they haven't told a single GM in the league yet, and uh, that's one thing Tenorio and Spaceball said, that that is perfectly, it, it is exactly the way that MLS operates. They don't tell them until they announce, so they don't know in advance. Unless, of course, that the MLS is just, the MLS owners group is just an absolute super team of tight mouth, don't tell a word to anybody, zipper across the mouth every time they speak, where... Plan your rosters for next year with this in mind, but we're not telling anyone it happens. But And so you can't. So they all keep the secret. And then when it drops, all of a sudden, they all have these brilliant, you know, mega mind moves to get these massive team, you know, movements. And, and all of a sudden, they've been it's like, planning no. them for a year. Yeah, exactly. But here's the thing that we do know about the way that MLS operates with these sort of decisions is they're done on the owner level without any consultation or any general managers, soccer, you know, uh, directors, technical directors having any input into these decisions at all. 
So the decisions are made by the billionaire owners without any consultation in many cases with their own uh, technical directors, uh, soccer directors or soccer people, and they're made. So it's just a very small group that actually knows what's going on. It's very, it has proven in the past to be that they can keep their lips pretty close in. The only time I can think of that pops off the top of my head is there was an owner out there that uh, blew the whistle on Inter-Miami having multiple DPs. Thoughts are becoming that it actually came from within Miami itself. Any other comments? I am gassed on all this number talk. I I do not have any thoughts anymore. <laughs> well, we got some numbers, but let's talk about some scores. Because uh, one last thing to talk about with St. Louis City SC is the Academy. They had some games, and to give us a rundown is uh, producer Mason. Yeah, we uh, we didn't talk about the Academy last week, so we got lots of results here. Um, on the 8th, the U15s and U17s played FC Cincinnati. U15s lost 4-3, to and the U17s got a draw 3-3. to On the 9th, back-to-back games again, we have Columbus Crew. Uh, dreaded enemy now. Um, the U15s lose 5-2, to U17s lost 4-2. to And then over in UPSL, the U21s had a win over Bowling Green FC, 4-2. to Now we're getting into more contemporary stuff. On the 15th, the U21s played Deportivo Mijalisco again and lost 3-2. to And then on the 16th, uh, the U15s lost 1-0 to Bedling SC. And all these scores now, they these aren't particularly good scores to hear. It just shows that St. Louis walked into the uh, toxic, lethal environment of Columbus, Ohio, and all of a sudden, things aren't going our way. Chris, I don't know how you made it back from there alive. He's Superman. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's got the uh the radiation disease yeah. like you know if, if you spend two hours watching a soccer game in columbus it's equivalent to spending 15 minutes in chernobyl <laughs> so you're saying at the uh full kit wanker party we can use him as a, a flashlight yeah. <laughs> yes yes i think i think he should have enough half-life left that he will glow in the getting dark. exposed to the elephant foot of lower.com field <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate to ruin the bit, but the actual answer is four McDonald's hash browns and a Red Bull. <laughs> ah, that makes sense. That's also all radioactive. Toxic and lethal. <laughs> so that's all they needed to give to the Chernobyl liquidators and they could have been fine. <laughs> yeah. Can we get uh, those hash browns at the uh, Centene Stadium next <laughs> season? Mm. How much would they cost? <laughs> uh, but that's a question for another day. Oofa doofa. You know, regarding the uh, NWSL last week, we talked a lot about the Yates report, and it only seems fitting that now that they're in the playoffs, we should talk about the good things in the NWSL. And there was good things this weekend. A lot of it had to do with the uh, in-stadium support for the NWSL. Some of these numbers are eye-popping historically across the league. And to give us a rundown of the playoffs is Chris Zimmerman. Yep, you're right. It was a very good weekend. We had two really good games that were both really well attended. Uh, The first game of the evening was the Houston Dash versus KC Current playing in the both playoff game for 
either franchise and a crowd of 21,000 people Damn. showed up in Houston Did for da- this game. Dynamo don't get um, that. Yeah, that's a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> All those 21,000 fans, though, were disappointed very early on when Houston gave up a penalty in the fourth minute that Kansas City's Lotway Alabanta just buried in the top right corner and gave one of her signature celebrations, which she's had a lot of practice of because this was her sixth penalty goal of the season. And then followed up, Casey kept up the pressure and had a few good, more good chances. But Houston tied it up off of a corner kick in the 21st minute. Uh, Sophie Schmidt collected the ball that was sort of swiped away from the goal mouth by Kansas City's goalies Adriana A.D. French. Um, she just punches it away very weakly and it falls to uh, Schmidt on the edge of the box and she just puts it in with a very nice volley. And although that was a bit of a mistake from French, she more than redeemed herself afterwards because Houston just kept up the pressure and Houston had just so many chances all game, um, including Maria Sanchez hitting the post in the 55th minute, but absolutely nothing goes in. French just makes save after save after save. And so we get to the end of the 90 minutes. The game is still tied one to one after no score for 70 with nine minutes of stoppage time that's nuts um added <laughs> then the 94th minute um michelle elozi from houston gets around the defense and gets a nice one-on-one all free with the keeper but ad just makes another amazing save and then finally at the very very end of the game it looks like we're settling down we're going to go to penalty kicks and then kansas city scores the goal in the 90th plus 10th minutes at uh, the death, literally. <laughs> yeah, death. I believe it was the last kick of the whole game. Um, with Loya Labanta showing up again, putting just a gorgeous touch on the ball at the edge of the 18-yard box, frees up space for Isabel Rodriguez, who passes it to Kate Delfava, who slots it in. So Kansas City win this game, and they will go on to play the NWSA Shield winners, the OL Reign. Is this Kansas City's first season? Yes. When they when they entered the league, they didn't even have a name. No, they didn't. But they're they're getting their own stadium if it hasn't been built already. So, more power to Kansas City. Maybe someday St. Louis least, City can do it. At least one KC team made the playoffs this year. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing you jumped that ship, right? I don't know if I jumped the ship so much as uh, changed my flat my my higher flying flag i think that's what happened <laughs> let your freak just flag doing fly the brother in between t- <laughs> you're just doing the splits between two different boats now <laughs> and we had another game didn't we chris we did the second game of the evening was again another first year team the san diego wave hosting the Chicago Red Stars, a long, long mainstay in women's soccer. But this was the first ever playoff game in Snapdragon Stadium, and it set the play- the league playoff record with 26,000 people. Um, this, again, did not start off too great for the home team because in the 10th minute, San Diego's goalie, Kaylin Sheridan, just gave the ball away to Chicago's Yuki Nagasato, chipped it over for an easy goal. When playing it out of and the back the goes game- bad, that was classic. Yep. When playing it out of the back goes bad. Uh, so it's a very poor start for San Diego. And then the rest of the first half just goes pretty quietly. San Diego started to put the pressure on towards the end, but nothing came of it. And then and again in the second half, San Diego had the pressure. Finally, in the 67th minute, Sophia Jakobsen made a 
run from the edge of the field towards the um, 18-yard box off of just a really good first touch she had on the ball. She crosses the ball in, which was deflected by Chicago's Jillian Aguilera, but Emily Van Egmond volleys the rebound and will tie the game. San Diego had a few more chances towards the end of the second half, but this game actually goes to extra time, tied 1-1. to And it started off now with a lot of chances going for both teams. Um, both teams had a team hit the post. But then finally in the 110th minute, a San Diego corner kick falls to the edge of the box and falls to someone who really doesn't need an introduction, but I'm going to get I was going to say, I saw, anyway. I saw this name. NWSL, <laughs> NWSL golden boot winner Alex Morgan takes a shot from a difficult angle from about the edge of the 18-yard box, puts it in, and the Wave hold on for the last 10 minutes of the game to win, and they will go on to face Portland. So both games will be next weekend on Sunday, and both will air on the CBS Sports Network. Portland versus San Diego will be at 4 p.m., and OL Reign versus Kansas City will be at 6.30 p.m., both Central Time, because we know who we are. And, uh, you know, that Alex Morgan... That young girl's got a future in this game someday. <laughs> I saw that. I was like, I didn't know that Alex Morgan played for San Diego now. And I was like, is that the is that Alex Morgan? <laughs> One mm-hmm. thing I have to say. Oh, is, no. What you need to know is what you need to know is uh, when it comes to the women's game, 90 uh, percent of the players for the national team play for their respective domestic league. It's not like in the men's game where, you know, you can play. Oh, yeah. In. England or in Spain or in France or wherever and be the be on the national team. You can do that, but the majority of them still play for their home country's domestic league. They all so pretty much play these, for NWSL. These women yeah. are also playing mm. for the women's national team. So you're going to yeah. recognize a fair amount of these names if we start when we start talking no, about I, them more often. I just didn't know that Alex Morgan played for San Diego. I thought she was on a different team. I knew she played in NWSL. <laughs> uh, but that idea of uh, the U.S. women's national team all playing domestically is probably going to change as we go along because the leagues in Europe are really, really ramping up. And uh, you might see more and more make the trip over there, especially among the younger generation with more ambition. Uh, It gives them more, not tight as much to home, more ambition in a changing world. That may change as, as time goes forward. Well, but also, like, I don't want to do, like, terroir here that, like, Europe just fundamentally has better football than America does. Because in the U.S., we have a much better women's game. Maybe the NWSL becomes the destination league or a a, a or a a successor to it, um, uh, to the NWSL, something like that, where we become the destination Mm -hmm. league instead of the other way around. We have been the destination league, but the WSL in Britain, the French, French league, and other leagues across Europe are really ramping up so uh, you know that's just a natural progression of things the women players that are very good on the women's national team will find riches around the world wherever they can do them it's just the way it should be so i mean talking about the european game barcelona has some pretty eye-popping attendance numbers for their women's team um and Mike mentioned attendance earlier. So this weekend, the most well-attended soccer game in the United States or Canada was not the MLS playoffs. It was the game in San Diego. And actually, the, for the other game, only the LA Galaxy versus Nashville outdrew them. So two of the top three 
most well-attended soccer games this past weekend were the NWSL, which is just just awesome to see. Yeah. I love it. And in light of the Yates report, you got to love it. Also, looking mm. at those um, playoff matchups coming up, the Portland Thorns and O.L. Rain were mentioned very extensively in the Yates report. Don't know how much San Diego and Kansas City being new to the league were mentioned. Choose who you root for, listeners. Well, one thing I'll say is that, like, you know, uh, despite everything that was done in inside the Portland Thorns organization, the Portland Thorns as a soccer team have always been fantastic. That's the reason why we highlighted them last week. Yeah. The actual product on the pitch for the Portland Thorns has always been outstanding. So, But to bring it closer to home, there is someone in our region in the women's game having an exceptional season, isn't there, Chris? Yep, that's right. The SLU, St. Louis Women, St. Louis University women's team, is now ranked 10th in the coaches' poll. It's just a poll. It's nothing official, but that is the sign that they are a very good team. I believe senior their senior day game is this upcoming Sunday, and then the Atlantic 10 tournament is held at campus sites. So expect at least a playoff game or two to happen here at SLU. And then if they make it to the women's tournament, there may be a few more games here as well. So if you didn't get enough playoff soccer earlier, keep your eye on the SLU women's team. There's probably uh, will be plenty of chances to see some more good games this season. SLU's always had a great Let's soccer program. So. <laughs> Yeah, always, always. Slew always has good soccer programs. Yeah, 100%. Always. Best in the country. Let's go Slew. Let's go Bills. And, uh, you know, so the women's game, it's great to see. It's great to see the popularity because, quite frankly, it's just good soccer at the highest level. Period. Doesn't matter what gender anyone's in, involved. Those India, both those NDFL games this weekend were just just entertaining just fantastic to watch we had some other entertaining games to watch from the other gender with the mls cups play mls cup playoffs if i can speak properly uh not as chaotic as we've seen in years past and that might be a good thing for mls but we certainly had some chaotic moments and some rather embarrassing ones as well and to give us a rundown is how the uh, playoffs are going is sean campbell Mike, I, I do have to say, I think your definition of uh, chaotic is understated at best in this. Uh, we have one. We have had one of the most wild weekends in MLS that I've seen in a long time. And this one happens to happen in the playoffs. Um, granted, part of it's because of the results, but we'll get into that in a moment. Um, first off, we have to talk about the fact that Austin FC wins their game. They went down 2-0 and came back and tied it went to extra time, and then won it in PKs. Austin FC proves they are the real deal and can come back, and several of their players have been quoted as saying, you know, the comeback game's kind of become our thing. It's just what we do now. It's it's almost as if the players are, are playing it off, but in reality, it's like, we'll spot you a couple goals, but then we're going to come back and beat your ass, because that's what we do. We're Austin FC. Uh, You know, Austin came back from... What was it? Two nil down against RSL as RSL came out <laughs> just full of piss and vinegar and uh, got up two nil. And Austin came back. And actually, before it had to go all the way to penalties, 
They had multiple chances to win this. But to come down from as far down as Austin was in an MLS playoff game is quite rare. And this is a special event, especially for what you have to say is a great fan base in Austin. Those people are going nuts. Listos Verdes. Yeah. And also like a second year club. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I just I remember I was out and about during the first half and I saw they went down two and nil, and I was like, all right, well, don't need to get back home in a hurry to watch that game. And then all of a sudden it's two, two. And I'm like, Oh shit, I got to get home and watch that game. Now, by the time <laughs> I got back home and actually watched, got to watching it, it was over. So I didn't get to see that one, but Austin, I mean, honestly being able to, even without seeing the highlights, Knowing that they can come back, come back from a two nil deficit in the playoffs when everyone has stepped it up to their fifth gear, they're turning it up to eleven, whatever you want to call it. If you can make a comeback in that situation, that's amazing. And then also to just stone cold seal it in PKs, chef's kiss, chef's kiss. Well done, viva los verdes. There were some great saves for Austin in that uh, penalty shootout, but not to take anything away from the amazing comeback, but it was impressive to see RSL hold on after getting red card in the 53rd minute, playing 40 minutes in the second half and then another 30, so almost a full game, a man down going that far. You know, hats off to them, too. They almost caused a lot of chaos, which is what they're known for. Oh, yeah. Um Austin missed a lot of chances. They, the offside flag was not their friend in the second half, but they did pull it out, and that was absolutely stone cold by Velasco on that. Uh, Mike, I think you're wrong. getting your head of yeah. yourself. You're thinking of the other Texas wrong team. Texas team. <laughs> but I'll use that as a segue. Go ahead. But that's right. That's right. Austin was not the only Texas team to make a comeback. FC Dallas came back from a 1-0 deficit to the Loons, tied it up, went through extra time, and they went to PKs. And this has a little bit more of a story to it because uh, the way with which they won this game, there's a little bit more style to it. Uh, Alan Velasco comes through clutch. He says to his coach, he says, Nico, I want to be fifth. Make me the fifth shooter. I want that spot and that's what you want from a young player who's hungry who's very good and knows he's good you want him to want those spots because that means he's good and he knows he's good and he can deliver and he does with a panenka a panenka to win the game yeah the, the game Saint Clair, Saint Clair was so mad he almost had he's like I, I, I swear I heard him drop an f-bomb while we were watching the high, the, the, the replay of it I could have sworn he dropped an F-bomb and you could hear it on the camera. I could be wrong. Don't the quote me on part, that. The but you hear someone screaming at that. The worst part is, is that he guessed the right way because it wasn't a Penganenka straight down the middle. It went to the inside and he dove to the inside, but he was too far on the ground to swat it away. <laughs> now, the worst part is the fact that at, was it, Toyota Stadium in Dallas... They had the lines from a high school football game still on the field when they played this. That stadium is the home oh. to U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame. But I guess that's fitting because that kind of sums up the history of soccer in the U.S. So I guess that's fitting. 
And that, that wasn't the worst field conditions was in say, the MLS playoffs this week. There were some much more desecrated well, before we Before we get to that, because that's a little further down my list, I do want to say FC Dallas, once they went down, they really tried to fight back in this game. They did a lot. Paul Areola and Jesus Ferreira, that connection did a lot to try to get this team back. They tried to drag them back, give them opportunities um, the loons really fended them off as best they could. St. Clair put on a great performance and the loons ended up just getting gutted by that PK, that PK shootout. Um, they really did everything they could. The loons, I, I, they're on that cusp and something's got to break for them. And I think in the next couple of years, we can see some really great stuff coming out of Minnesota. Could be, but they need more difference makers. They have one, Bebe Reynoso. Focus on him. You shut them down. They really need to pick up somebody that can be a difference maker on that team because it's Bebe and uh, the Pips around him, basically, on that Loons team. Uh, I I think we could see some major movement in in Minnesota in this offseason. I think we might be able to do some of that by, like, saying, hey, we'll give you some extra game if you give us one of these young players and, you know, make some moving and shaking in that situation. Um. But we've got other that's that's off season talk. We can talk about that later. Moving on to the next game that I have on my list, the Galaxy Edge past a very stout Nashville defense, and they get they get into the next round, and we get El Trafico, baby. That's right. The Galaxy finally win a playoff game. Chicharito finally decides, hey, I'm gonna play hard. And then the Galaxy get the win and we get El Trafico. I think you're a little harsh on Chicharito. He's played hard all year. Uh but Uh-oh. two midseason pickups for the Galaxy really plugged up two desperate holes that had me and Larry Henry Jr. when we talked to him. We weren't believing in this Galaxy team. But Brugman working at the the back end of the defense in the midfield, and especially Ricky Puig, Puj. Pij, however you want to pronounce it, coming in from Barcelona has really been what they needed to open up the field. Get the ball out. Get the ball to Chicharito. Make things happen. Uh, The dynamism that they really were lacking from a lot of their playmakers on this team to get the ball to Chicharito. He doesn't create on his own. He has to get the ball to where he can be and he can put it in the net. And Pij has been the one to do that. Yeah, you basically took the words out of my mouth. But yeah, Chicharito has been good all year as long as you don't put him on the spot. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, he he needed Oof-da. somebody to <laughs> he needed somebody to get the ball to him, and Ricky has really done that. He really because I thought I thought the Galaxy were done. I thought they were morbid, and then Ricky Puj comes in, and and now now yeah now they're moving on. I didn't think it was possible. Oh yeah, no. They, I think that speaks a lot, not nec- not not just to how good of how good of a player and how important to the system Puj has been for the Galaxy, but it also speaks to the defensive structure of Nashville. Like, give them the credit that that they are due. They have been stout for the last several years, honestly. And the fact that it took that next level game breaker of a player in Puj to come in and make Chicharito that much more deadly to get past them by one, that says a lot about both sides, how much Puj is, is important to the team, but also how good that back line has been for Nashville. I wonder what's going to happen when they run into the juggernaut of LAFC. 
No, we'll find out. Uh, it's it's a derby game, so we'll find out. But the thing it's is, El Trafico. Yeah. But what excites mm-hmm. me about Puj is, you know, how much of it is true. But he's said a lot of great things about coming to MLS. He really he seems to be embracing life in Southern California, and has been a very great ambassador as a player for the Galaxy. He's always doing something positive for the fans on social media. It's exciting to see, and I, I, I hope he carries on in next year to see if he can improve more because he's an exci- exciting talent that didn't get the opportunity in Barcelona and did choose to come to MLS. It's the kind of thing we want to see. It's important, and he seems to be a very fun-to-watch player, and I look forward to seeing him uh, in the future even if he does play for the blue and gold. Yeah. Well, I think that about wraps it up for the West, so let's head out East and talk about the East matchups we had this past weekend. Uh, in the East, let's first talk about Cincinnati, baby. They've FC done it. Cincy. They've done They've it. They've done it. They've won a playoff game. They went from winning the Spoon three years in a row to winning a playoff game and absolutely Dunning Red Bulls New York, and I swear it's like this entire this entire round was a round of comeback stories because they came back and won this game and just proves that you know they're just as good at putting balls in the net as they are at letting balls in their own net, and that's going to be an interesting storyline going into the next round for sure. Another one that stands out here is that uh, you know unlike the rest of the Red Bull system around the world. They don't spend any money in New York for this team. They're tied to their system. They try to bring up young guys, and we heard this before. But what they lacked here was difference makers in this game. Cincinnati has spent, and oftentimes spent unwisely, and it looked that way with Brenner and some other ones, but they picked up uh, Velasquez. Uh, They went out and got Lucha Acosta, and it just opened things up. And Matt Miazga coming back from his failed loan venture with Chelsea has come back to MLS and he really tightened up their defense and it has made this team very fun to watch and and chaotic too. They they can score five and give up four or score four and give up five. You'd never know. I like that. They are the epitome. They are the epitome of an MLS team in its heyday. You will see a ton of goals, but they'll also give up a ton of goals. But that makes exciting soccer, right? Especially here in America, where we're used to seeing like hockey games that go six to eight. We're excited. We're seeing baseball games that go 12 to six. You know, we want to see high scoring. That's MLS, baby. I, I want to see since I want to see another baseball game that goes twenty-one to two. <laughs> <laughs> but, All right, Minnesota v. Yankees, circa two thousand. No, it was it was the Baltimore Orioles, baby. You know it. <laughs> oh, oh no! They also did that to the Twins. It was twenty-two to two. Yeah, keeping it in the East. We're gonna go a little further northeast, and, and also we're speaking stop about off baseball. In New York. <laughs> Speaking of baseball, we're going to go to New York where we watched a soccer game in a baseball stadium, but not the one you think it was. City Field, baby. New York City (laughs) FC. They played at City Field, so we did not have to see the print of paper banner. Um, you know, looming over ominously over Inter Miami as they came to visit. Let's no, go, Mets, we got baby. to see a Love scarf <laughs> that said "2021 yeah. Champions" that was arguably bigger than their banner. Uh, but yeah, because NYCFC because the Yankees were playing the Cleveland all... Guardians, and that game got rained out. 
<laughs> Either way, though, NYCFC, I think, in this game, took any and all doubt and put it to bed. Um, they came out, they were clinical in their passes, their finishing could have been a little bit better, but they dominated this game. Miami only had a couple of chances, but they didn't really look too dangerous at all. The only player that had any sort of bite to their game for Miami was Gonzalo Higuain, and NYCFC saw that, took to it, and put this game to bed as quickly as they could alongside Higuain's career because Higuain's retiring after this season. And the only other thing we have to talk about is the double doink. We got a New York double doink, baby. <laughs> so what had happened was, um, it was See, what a, had happened was what had happened was, um, a New York shot on goal gets spilled, I guess, by the keeper, uh, for for Miami, and then another Miami defender comes in. And try like tries to get rid of it, but bounces it off the crossbar, and then it goes out and hits another Miami player's shin and hits the post. <laughs> All in about three seconds. See what had happened was, <laughs> what happened? was a, it was an attempt to clear at the final seconds at, as a last ditched effort, and it just ended up hitting the crossbar, going straight up hitting the crossbar, coming out and then def- and then another defender tried to just say, alright, let's just put it out for a corner we can defend a corner, ended up putting it right off the frame and I know everyone in Miami that's a fan of Inter is just having a heart attack in that moment, just like Ugh! Again, I'll bring up, when playing it out of the back goes bad it was a bad pass from uh, the from Calendar, the goalkeeper from Miami completely missed his guy who didn't make a great effort to try to block it straight to NYFC. They're on the break. Uh, Mbaka who uh, kept Ebert on side, actually is the one that came through, made a wild uh, save of the ball. He kicked it towards goal, tried to go over. I guess he did. He hit the crossbar. Technically. <laughs> it doinks off straight into, I don't know who the inner Miami player's shin is, and that doinks off the post. The Double doink! <laughs> if we only went back 20 years in MLS history, if it was 20 years ago, what would happen is Inter-Miami would have got out on the counter after that doinked off the post, went down and scored. Uh, but that did <laughs> not happen. Uh, the Inter-Miami center backs had themselves a day, and not a good day, on this one. But that wasn't the most shameful part of this game. It had to be that unlike Yankee Stadium where they play in the outfield grass, at least, on a shrunk field. They were playing on the warding track. <laughs> and the infield grass. Oh, and, and it was infield. painted green. And the infield. That set MLS back 20 years in a take... playoff game. Oh, yeah. They laid, down fake, they laid down false sod on the infield and the warning track. So that, that, that was the only way this game would get played on this field is because they had to lay down extra grass on the infield, like second base was within the actual field of play, oh, not just like within the boards. It was within the field of play. At least they picked the, the second the base back mound up was before they started the, the sideline <laughs> and the ad boards. That's how how small the Mets stadium is, y'all. <laughs> what if they made everybody tag up at second before they could go <laughs> forward? <laughs> oh, let's go Mets, baby. No, 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 Mets. You dribble. You're, 
you take the ball to second, you trap it, you stand on the base, gives you a little bit of time to think. No one can tackle you while you're yeah. on second. They have to say 10 yards out before you can kick it. Yeah, how many outs did NYCFC make? <laughs> Enough of this. Zero. <laughs> there was one game that yeah. just went completely Ghost wing back on second. <laughs> there was some reason in MLS, and it comes from the most unlikely of sources, the Club de Foot. Montreal just simply didn't have a great game, just took care of business like they've been doing. Right, Sean? I'm not sure I'd call this the most likely of sources, but yes, this game went to plan. CF Montreal came out and absolutely put on a clinic. That's the only way I can describe it. It was a clinical performance, and they did everything they could to make sure we don't get to see Sacramento in this in the CONCACAF Champions League. And Mason, I know you're crying right now. You can edit that out. It's okay. Your tears don't have to make it onto the podcast. Uh, no, I'm, but no uh, uh, Montreal I'm, just comes out and just 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 demolishes this yeah. game from I, front to back. I like Montreal, but I am I am the emoji doing the hands above their head face from that video. It's like, oh, I'm just a small little goblin. <laughs> But it's what we've seen in the most of the season with Montreal, especially in the second half, just a professional performance. Orlando's been flaky all year. Montreal's not. They just came out, performed, won the game, move on. And for a team oh, yeah. sort of new in this position, they look so poised, if not polished necessarily all the time, just so poised and ready. They look so... So set up for success in the postseason at this moment. They are acting like they've been here before, and they're doing it fantastically. And I really hope they keep doing so. But that's about all I've got outside of just announcing the matchups we have for uh, next week's, uh, you know, well, this coming weekend. Um, I believe we have... We got Thursday and... Sunday games? That's why I couldn't find them. They're on Thursday, yes. We have Thursday games. The games that we have this coming weekend for playoffs are the Thursday night games are Philadelphia versus hosting Cincy. I think that's going to be a very exciting matchup for sure. But then after that, we also at the late game that night is El Trafico. And that's going to be a very exciting matchup because we get a derby in the playoffs. That's just... That's like Cards Cubs in the NLCS, baby. You just love to see it. Yeah. I, through and through. I always love El Trafico. So. And in the other matchups on Sunday? On Sunday, our matchups are CF Montreal hosting NYCFC. And that's going to be very exciting. Um, but then the other matchup is the one that I'm most excited about. That's the, I believe that's the early game. Oh, no, the early game is the NYCFC-CF Montreal match. That's at noon on Sunday. The Austin versus Dallas game. We have a Copa Teos matchup, baby. We've got two derbies out in the West. That's the Western matchup you love to see. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, these some sexy MLS conference semifinal matchups. You know, out West, you got El Trafico and a Texas Rodeo. Uh, In the East, a team that was both one of the best in the league historically in attack and in defense against a squad that can both outscore anyone on any given day or be outscored by anyone on any given day. And then plus the best team from the first half of the season 
taking on the best team in the second half of the season. Um, looking forward to these games. They, they, they're very good matchups and uh, very good teams that any of them can uh, advance. And I would say that uh, pretty much any of these teams could win it all. The MLS script writers need a raise. I don't know if Cincinnati can win it all. I don't know if the Galaxy can. But who knows? They're playing well. They can do it. I'm just thinking, though, with the schedule as is, it creates a situation in the conference finals where one team is going to have two more days of rest than the other one will. But is that... I guess that's just us. Is that necessarily better for the team with extra rest? Because they'll have a whole week until the cup finals. So Yes, the, 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 the actual conference finals will be played on the 30th. Both of them will be played on the 30th. So it's a matter of two days, but they've been dealing with that all season with some teams having mid games when they go up against a team that didn't have a mid game or a, a midweek mm-hmm. game. So they're used to this. I'm not sure how much that's going to play into it. This isn't quite like, you know, playing on Monday night football and then also having to play Thursday night football. It's not quite analogous, um, but I can see your concern with having a couple extra days of rest. I'm not sure it's going to make too much of a difference because this is playoffs and all of these all of these teams have a lot to play for and half of these games are derbies anyway. So Yeah, the Thursday teams might actually be out of their uh, usual schedule, so they might be at a disadvantage even though you think they would have with extra rest. They lost their rhythm, uh, so to speak. Now, if there's injuries... Now whatnot, I've thrown him see. off his rhythm. <laughs> We got head coach but we J. will J. see how that we will see how all that plays out. Anything else having to do with the MLS playoffs, or anything else having to do with well, anything within reason, of course. I can't wait to see Texas, a Texas team, have to play a Canadian team. I think it's going to be amazing <laughs> in Canada. Oh man, blame Canada. No, no. It's going to be played in Austin. We're going to see Montreal have to travel down to Austin and play Texas and play Austin <laughs> in the final. That's my yeah. that's my pick. Of course it right would be right here right now. You heard to hear folks folks. Of course it's going to be Texas against the French Canadians, two separatist groups. <laughs> no, you can have uh, you know, in the first half you eat some uh never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could have poutine versus deep fried butter as a competition. See who makes you die for disease. <laughs> no, 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 no. That'd be Montreal versus someone up in Wisconsin that doesn't exist yet. No, it's poutine versus barbecue, but it's strictly dry rubbed um, brisket, poutine. no sauce allowed. <laughs> dry rubbed poutine. <laughs> I said brisket. Hey, I said we got brisket. a title for the episode: dry rubbed poutine. <laughs> 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 I think that's that's good enough for this week, and I'm your host, Mike Turner. I'm your producer, Mason. I am the radioactive Chris. And I'm your cave-dwelling hooligan, Sean. And we are the Soccer Capital Podcast. Thanks for listening. Why are you listening? Why are you still listening? <laughs> Bye for now. <laughs>